Hi, this is Anna from Chicago, Illinois. Dusted is a story wonk podcast. To show your support and for exclusive content, visit patreon.com slash storywonk. Thanks. Welcome to the show. I'm Alistair Stevens. And I'm Lonnie Diane Rich, and this is Dusted, your It's Just a Name, Buffy the Vampire Slayer <laughs> podcast. This week we're watching episode 13 of season 2 of Angel Happy Anniversary, and let me tell you right up front, if you enjoy hearing us get angry, then this is the podcast for you. <laughs> it was going yeah. so well until it suddenly wasn't going well at all. It was going really well. I've never been so conflicted about an episode there's good stuff here. There's really good stuff. A lot of and good then it stuff. goes off the hardest of cliffs and it is the unforgivable cliff. It is. I cannot forgive it. So yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a real problem, I gotta say. I'm going to try and actually get through this entire podcast without using the word problematic. Okay. Which means that I might just swear. I think that <laughs> I might think just be a would better absolutely option. love it. We have to earn that explicit rating somehow. This episode aired on February 6, thousand and one, and is written by David Greenwalt with Joss Whedon actually sharing a story credit with Greenwald, which means they actually put this together. Everybody knew exactly what was happening at no, the no, end. No. It wasn't just one person's and fault. And that's fine, because the problem here isn't conceptual per se. The problem here is with the complete lack of appropriate resolution. Yes. You can mm-hmm. pretty much solve every problem with this episode by having one person punch one other person no, right at totally, the end of the episode. right? Yep. Yes. That would solve a lot of my problems with this one. <laughs> this episode directed by Bill Norton. This is his first episode of Angel. He will go on to direct five more of Angel and one of Buffy and pretty much one episode of every show that's ever been on television. When we talk about the journeyman, you know, creative person, yeah, that is the is kind of thing we're talking interesting about. Interesting, because we talked about that a lot back in the early days of Buffy, and yeah. now it's kind of found its regular crew of mm-hmm. directors. But this guy, Bill Norton, he just comes in, five angels, one Buffy, and onto his next task. He yeah. goes off like the Incredible Hulk at the end of an episode. No, he really does. To go wherever he is needed. <laughs> wherever television needs a director, there you will find him. In purple pants. Exactly. Let's get into our beat by beat. We open without a previously on Angel section this week, launching straight into the man himself, brooding alone as he looks out at the skyline of Los Angeles. Cordelia and Wesley, meanwhile, are picking through the relics left by the previous occupants of their brand new office. Cordelia still has her visions, she reassures us. Wesley points out the necessity of a steady clientele, and Gunn returns from pamphleting the neighborhood. The phones are out, but Wesley believes this is a problem that he can solve, and as he inevitably casts the office into darkness, Gunn observes that he's glad he met the other investigators. And it's cute. It's slightly pratfall Wesley, but given what Wesley achieves through the rest of the episode, I will give it a pass. Absolutely. Yes. I like this. I like the spirit of camaraderie. I like the spirit of unity. And I like them moving forward with their lives. I like it too. I have to say, like, I'm, I get so nitpicky in this scene that I can't. Uh, first of all, it looks like a redress of Angel's office. The floor yes. is the same floor that is in the Hyperion. I looked at this for a long time and I was like, why are they in the Hyperion? They've already left the Hyperion. What are they going back for? Why are all these files on the floor? Did Angel have a fit? Did I miss an episode? What the hell happened? <laughs> Until finally I realized, no, there's a car parked right out front. Th- this is not the Hyperion. But it's no. 
looks just like it. It does feel as though it's a set constructed from the relics of other sets that we've used previously on Angel. Yeah, but the floor. Like, you couldn't change the floor. (laughs) So that whole thing was so distracting throughout the whole thing. And then Wesley says clientele. Does anybody pronounce it that way? Is that a a British way of pronouncing it? I mean, no, not unless you're really leaning into the affectation. But this is the problem with Alexis Denisov. His English accent is impeccable until it's not. (laughs) And he loses it only very slightly and on very rare occasions. But there are times you're reminded that this is not actually his natural speaking voice. It's just the same as James Masters. Oh, really? He does fantastic work. But every now and then, one word will just be out of nowhere. It was the weirdest thing when he said clientele. And I was like, I have never heard anybody from any like background pronounce it that way. One that always stands out to me is in Buffy, whenever Spike says patronize, when he means patronize, (laughs) those two different words have two different pronunciations on that side of the Atlantic. I see. Well, aside from those little nitpicky things, I actually really did enjoy this opening moment with them. I love Gunn. We have slightly irritated almost 100 people. That was adorable. Good Gunn here. He is wry. He Mm -hmm. is sardonic. He is kind of puncturing the Mm -hmm. pomposity of Wesley here. So that's all working really well. But he's not overwritten. Mm -hmm. He's not leaning into it too hard. I like what we get from the investigators pretty much throughout the episode. And I like the ambition of it. Mm -hmm. A couple of weeks ago, when we were talking about redefinition, I made the case that you could have advanced all of those stories to the degree that redefinition advanced those stories in about five minutes. Mm -hmm. And this episode is the proof of that. Because we spend maybe six, maybe seven minutes with the investigators throughout the entire episode. Mm -hmm. But we take them through a major arc. Yes, we We have no trouble keeping up. It's ambitious. It's direct. It's well-focused, well-written, well-performed. I have, I think, no problems at all with the B-plot in this story. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a little weird when we get into the Agatha Christie stuff at the end, but I, I thought it. it was kind of cute, yeah. <laughs> Angel, meanwhile, turns in after a long night spent brooding, but wakes to the sound of the star-spangled banner. Lorne is singing in the foyer of the Hyperion, celebrating the building's remarkable acoustics. Oh, and mentioning to Angel that in a little less than 36 hours, the world is going to end. And let me say at this time, in this place, how much I love Andy Hallett. Oh my God. I love this whole thing with Lauren. He's Lauren given, is so beautifully written in this episode. He really is. Yeah. And beautifully performed. He's given mm-hmm. so much to do. So much of the weight of this episode is placed on his shoulders. This is the first time that he's really stepped Had up. Had an active role Absolutely. In, a, in, a se- in a story. Yeah. What's remarkable, though, is that Lauren is, generally speaking, exactly the kind of character that I hate. <laughs> He is the kind of goofy comic relief leaning on the fourth wall, always commenting on everything kind Mm -hmm. of character that drives me crazy. Mm -hmm. It is an achievement that I don't hate Lauren. The fact that I love Lauren is a testament to just how great Andy Hallett's performance was. Yeah, no, I think that he is incredible and he absolutely holds his own here. And I think that they write him really well. I mean, he could come off, he's he's coded somewhat gay and we've got this stereotype coded just camp, waiting. Coded camp, at least, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We've got this stereotype just kind of waiting to jump in and yet they manage to evade that and give us a character and a performance that really is layered and sweet and wonderful. Yeah, and, yeah. that is 
purposefully flat and superficial. Yeah. That is the that is the facade that Lauren is presenting to the world. But the performance never leaves us in any doubt that there is more going There's on so under the heart. surface. Yeah. He has that enormous empathy, that enormous presence and sensitivity. Mm-hmm. Lauren is fantastic. Andy Hallett is fantastic. I just love the way that this character and is written throughout can the episode. Throw a punch can in a fight a scene. Punch. If he had cowered behind the car and whimpered, I would have been so mad. <laughs> when he throws that punch, I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> After the credits, we pick up with Lauren and Angel trading barbs. I particularly like Lauren's line about Angel getting darker and darker, but his aura remains beige. <laughs> Before we cut hard to a flashback, a demon with a really bad prosthetic parasite is singing Bye Bye Love. Lauren's new bartender can't make a sea breeze. Oh, incidentally, I had no idea that was what was in a sea breeze. Yeah. I just now discovered vodka, cranberry, and grapefruit. No, they're so good. Perhaps it's because it's 100 degrees here in the yes. recording studio as we record this episode <laughs> of Dustin. really good. I could drink one of those right now. <laughs> we might take a break in the middle Maybe of the... Maybe we'll make one for the yeah, next I'll episode. We'll right. fridge. <laughs> We cut back to the present for a little more banter, then back to the club, where a completely average guy sings a completely average song, specifically All By Myself, and Lorne passes out. This guy has no future beyond 10pm tomorrow, and nor does the rest of the world. Lorne knows that Angel is a champion, a force for good in a benighted world, and together they can find this guy and save the world. Angel is skeptical. That is increasingly Angel's default state. But Lauren reminds him that the world is at stake. He suggests that they can start at all the local karaoke bars. But we, privileged that we are, cut to a physics lab where average Joe, a.k.a. Gene, is thinking. He's working on the entanglement of space-time and the freezing of one moment. He technobabbles with his colleague for a while, and then his girlfriend appears. There's not a lot of what you'd call romantic tension, but tomorrow's their one-year anniversary and... That's probably significant, right? I imagine it'll come into play. Given the title of the episode yes. <laughs> and all. I like very much the way that we frame this story. Yeah. I like that Lorne doesn't have to come in with a cheap excuse that connects Angel mm-hmm. to the case of the week. You know, he doesn't have to come in and say, and you know this guy, or I had a vision that you were going to help me. No, Lorne has run into something really weird and he knows who Angel is. Yeah. I like that we can lean on this notion of a champion Mm -hmm. and use it to drive the plot. Well, and I also like that that struggling with his role as a champion is a thing that Angel is going through right now. And so we get to, through, you know, using this story, we use it to kind of breach that that, um, space for Angel a little bit. Which I think is really nice. Yeah, it feels like a less secure writer would would have found some mechanism to draw angel into the story it would have been you know Mm -hmm. i found one of your business cards in his pocket or i thought he mentioned or i saw you in the vision or whatever but it's just that lorne knows that angel is a champion and he needs a champion which also strengthens lorne's position Mm -hmm. because this is a problem that he is actively trying to solve himself Mm -hmm. which I also really appreciate right. I he's like not that just he's... giving him a bar napkin and right. saying this is where you can find the guy he's like I am going to be here with you doing this with you I am involved I am in this game yeah, yeah. when mm-hmm. he ran into something weird he undertook that mission himself yeah that really speaks to his agency and his strength what do you think of the cutaway to Gene in his lab um I thought it was okay I mean I it, after dealing with Lorne and Angel you cut away to this really like pedestrian science story which is what it seems to be mm-hmm. feels a little weird feels like not an episode of Angel entirely particularly the way that we approach it there is a weird 
textural quality yeah. to this story that I think comes from its roots in science fiction rather than its roots in fantasy right. storytelling. Mm -hmm. We would have no problem, I'm sure, if Gene had some magical ritual that he'd been working on, if there was sure. some incantation that he was going to unlock. But the fact it's physics, mm -hmm. the fact it's given this technobabble sheen of authenticity yeah. does make it feel a little different. It's a little like that overlap that we had in season four of Buffy with exactly. the science fiction story mixing like uncomfortably with the fantasy story. And Angel has a little more fluidity, I think, mm -hmm. in that space because we have drained out some of the fantasy, some of the sure. overt high fantasy, high fantasy. from mm -hmm. the angel side of the story. Now it's more urban fantasy. Yeah. It's, it's almost more, in some senses, magical realism. Mm -hmm. So it can sit more companionably along the science fiction storyline, but... It still feels a little weird. It does feel a little weird. Yeah. It's not enough to throw me out of the story, but it's mm -hmm. particularly strange when we have these characters standing around talking about equations, talking yes. about Einstein. It's cute mm -hmm. enough, and I like the way that it works to introduce us to the story. But it is it is a little odd. Yeah, it sits a little uncomfortably with yeah. everything else. Angel and Lauren, meanwhile, show up at their 17th karaoke bar of the night. There's no sign of Jean or the imminent apocalypse. They talk with the bartender, who is played by the brilliant Mike Haggerty, who you know from... Everything. God, from Friends. From, he has been in everything. From Community, from the Mindy Project, <laughs> yes. perhaps, most mm -hmm. recently. He has been in 8,000 things, and he's always great. Mm -hmm. We learn that the kid comes in to sing sad songs from time to time. He's a grad student, and a little mind-reading from Lauren confirms that he is, in fact, the guy they're looking for. Okay, I love that. Love it. I think that, again, when you utilize a character's capability, make them part of the team, this is wonderful. When he says, hey, can you belt it out? And the guy starts singing this really yeah. awkward rendition, and then Lauren's like, nope, that's our guy it's i love that so confident so rooted in its sense of this character and this world at this point i'm really enjoying the episode i have yeah. some concerns about the sci-fi side of the story but the rest of it's working mm -hmm. pretty well back at the lab gene is working in that non-specific talking out loud kind of way that scientists do on television then he fires up the machine a drop of liquid mercury falls through the focal intersection of the device but nothing happens gene sighs and leaves the room allowing a couple of conspicuous demons to emerge from a shadowy corner, talk about the nothingness to which the universe shall return, and magically change one of the equations on the board. Mm -hmm. So these are our lubber demons. Yes. We don't get direct dialogue from them, we get captioned mm -hmm. dialogue. How do the lubber demons work for you as a presence in the story? Not that well. I feel like what <laughs> they're trying to do is sort of tie this sci-fi story into this magical space. But, you know, as as we find out throughout the course of the thing, that these are the demons who are waiting for their messiah, the person who will stop time, who will end the world, right? Yes. But they apparently already have the ability to do it themselves because they are actually changing the formula. Yes. So if they already know how to stop time, what do they need this doofus for? That's... One of the things that bothers me about the Lubber Demons, the other is the way that they're presented. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, perhaps I'm just being too sensitive here, but are they coded as Jewish? Are they coded as Hasidic in particular? Kind of. I mean, they don't have a lot of the, the call out, like the curls on the side. The, the yeah, it's not Jews specific. But the, the clothing that they're wearing, um, they're, they're definitely older men. They have this sort of sad 
face thing going on. something about the phonetic set that's used and in the their dialogue. Set, yeah, and they're waiting for the Messiah. I mean, I think that there are excusable reasons why you would read them as kind of like older Jewish men. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't necessarily judge the episode too harshly yeah. for that, but it is a weird note. Well, it is It is weird to later on watch Angel beat holy hell out of these old guys. <laughs> that's like, that's, definitely true. That's a weird thing. <laughs> Back at the office of the new investigator agency, Cordelia is trying to keep everyone's spirits up, but finally surrenders to inevitable gloom and depression. And as if things weren't bad enough, Virginia shows up, armed with champagne and good cheer. Cordelia drinks from the bottle as Gunn reassures Virginia that this particular barrel doesn't seem to have a bottom, but Virginia has news. She has a job, and only the investigators can help. A wealthy family is being hunted by what seems to be a demon, and one person has already died. Sounds like a job for three depressed people drinking champagne in the middle of the day. I will not have a bad word said about the midday champagne. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. Maybe that's not the focal point of the sure. scene. What do we think of this scene? How does Virginia work for you? You know, okay, I don't know why. I haven't put my finger on it yet. But Virginia feels to me as out of place as the science fiction story. There is something about Virginia that she just doesn't feel right in this space. And I haven't is been it, able to identify it yet. Is it that she has no chemistry whatsoever? And I mean chemistry of any kind with Wesley? There's there's that, but there's also that she is, you know, she's rich, she's she has resources, she has uh, you know, everything she's she hangs out with famous people like there's there's nothing about her that feels like it fits in with the rest of this group. She doesn't belong in this crowd. She is not a a fighter for good and and all that is right in the world and she's she's a privileged woman who like lives what appears to be a i mean aside from when her dad tried to kill her fair enough but like a fairly easy life it doesn't feel she's not part part of of this she's not part of this like this grimy we're fighting the good fight sort of world she's not but she is a part of the extended world of of magic and demons in los angeles Mm -hmm. so she is aware of that but she doesn't seem to have been in any way compromised by that there is an idea that runs throughout Buffy and throughout Mm -hmm. Angel, that learning the truth about the world somehow removes you from the world. You can no longer go back and live your normal everyday life. There's an innate tension there. Virginia knows about all of this, but doesn't seem to be touched by it in the way that literally every other character that we've Mm -hmm. ever seen in Buffy or Angel has been touched by it. So I don't know. She's weird to me. I I feel as though there's something wrong, something, something false about it feels like she was picked up from another show and dropped into this show. Yeah. It's just she doesn't feel like she belongs in the world. I but, haven't been quite able to like isolate exactly what it is that isn't working for me. It's just not working. No, I, I agree with you. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I don't hate her presence in this scene. I think her dialogue is fairly well written. Yeah. And I like that she makes or or she doesn't make Cordelia look smart. I guess she gives Cordelia an opportunity to demonstrate mm-hmm. her intellect. Yes. Mm-hmm. I like the dynamic here. I like it to the extent that I can overlook mm-hmm. Virginia and her her oddness. Her overall weirdness yeah. within the space. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I don't think that 
we can really unpick Virginia without just a lot more time and attention. <laughs> yeah. And we're not really going to get that. So eh, we don't need it's it. It's fine. Mm-hmm. But in broad strokes, at least, I like the idea that, that the investigators have a mission now. Mm-hmm. I like that they're admitting the the hopelessness of their situation. That yes. all works quite well. I like the, the beats of, of depression and gloom. Mm-hmm. I like Cordelia trying to keep everyone's spirits up and mm-hmm. then resigning herself and drinking the champagne and then coming back around. I like this character study of of these three people mm-hmm. that we know at this point really quite well. Yeah. It mm-hmm. feels authentic to me. Yeah, I like it. I thought it was a fun scene. You know, I like Cordy uh, teasing Virginia about burying the lead a couple of times with, first of all, they have a rich client. They, <laughs> she sees how desperate they are, doesn't yeah. bother to tell them about the rich client kind right away. Kind of teasing. Yeah. And also kind of completely sincere. Exactly. You get the sense that maybe Cordelia doesn't like Virginia at all. Yeah, maybe Cordelia realizes that Virginia belongs in an entirely different television show. Maybe Cordelia realizes that Wesley belongs with her. Oh. Just a little background shipping going on here. Just just a little (laughs) casual background shipping. At the lab, meanwhile, Gene sees the revised equation on the board, taps on his keyboard, and runs the test again. But this time, the drop of mercury is suspended in the glowing blob. He runs out of the lab and across the campus, barely containing his urge to shout the word Eureka. And we cut to Angel and Lauren, who are still bickering. Lorne could not previously drive, apparently, but he's a quick study. He shelters in the stacks of the university library as Angel recovers some information, and then they get down to the studying, observed by one of the mysterious demons from before. Outside, meanwhile, Jean happens to find his girlfriend Denise just as she tells Jean's colleague that her relationship is on the brink of being over. Jean's a wonderful guy, but in a you know, soulless, absence of personality, gaping void kind of way. There's going to be a big anniversary deal. I mean, Jean is cooking a meal, (laughs) so that's how big a deal this anniversary is. Denise is going to sleep with Jean one last time, then walk away. And Jean, hearing all this, turns on his heel and returns to the lab. This, I think, is where the first crack appears in this story. It is Mm -hmm. nothing like as bad as what will come later. I really hate the conversation between Denise and the girl. No, this is pretty terrible. Um, First of all, the girl, I think, asks a a viable question. You know, did you not notice his lack of personality in the entire year that you have been dating him? This all starts off pretty well. This might come off sooner. Um, But then we get to the sympathy bone, which is a concept that is just... Yeah, it's not a... Okay, it's not a bad concept, it is a thing that people do. People can have sex for whatever damn reason they like. Exactly. As long as, as consent is informed on all sides. And, yes. you know, let's really flag that because that's going to be important mm-hmm. later. As long as consent is informed on all sides, people can have sex for whatever reason they like. The problem is the way that the sympathy bone, quote unquote, is presented yeah. here. It's presented as, well, you know what girls are like. Exactly. This is what women do, right? <laughs> They're going to break up with you eventually. But, you know, you cook them dinner, so they'll they'll put out for you this one time. Yeah. It, that's the thing. It's, it's It felt like a transactional thing. Yeah. And I didn't like the way that it was presented. Um, I didn't like the idea that it was expected that, well, you know, you have to sleep with him if he's cooking for you, right? Like, there was this whole element of yeah, that. That which... wasn't quite textual. That wasn't quite explicit. Yeah, but we were close enough to that. It was uncomfortable that it made me uncomfortable, yeah. and I didn't. I didn't particularly care for it. Yeah, yeah. I don't particularly. I don't particularly like the conversation. I really dislike Gene just happening upon the conversation. At right, that and time. listening. You know. And, yes. Yeah. Here is a guy who is already caught up in what is a potentially apocalyptic 
situation. Yes. Mm-hmm. But now we need to complicate his life further by tying it back to his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. That doesn't seem to be in any way relevant to the rest of the proceedings. Right. It's not like we really need to motivate him to utilize this new technology that he's been working on forever and has just unlocked. Right. right? He was already going to run these experiments. He right. was already going to to perform these tests. He was already going to end the world. Right. But now he's going to end the world in a much more personal and, and you know, staggeringly, cripplingly abhorrent way. Yeah. Well, get to that <laughs> in due course. In the library, meanwhile, Angel and Lauren find Jean's page, and Angel asks the librarian for directions. The librarian is startled by something behind Angel, but that's not the new school mascot. That's not Lorne. It is, in fact, one of the lubber demons, and he's holding what is, for us, a very familiar-looking weapon. This is a hungamunga. This is a type of mambele knife found in Africa. For some reason, this guy is holding it backwards. <laughs> Which makes me nuts. <laughs> Throughout the episode, two thirds of all the lubber demons we see yeah. are holding this weapon backwards. <laughs> Which okay, it's it's a complicated looking piece of, of murder sure, equipment. Sure, murder but equipment. <laughs> we know how this knife works because we've seen Buffy hold it. And oh, let me think: the opening credits of every single episode exactly. of Buffy since the beginning of the third season. <laughs> because this is the blade that she found in Anne when she was mm-hmm. in the demon dimension. So we've seen this weapon used, or or seen it wielded time and time and time again. Yes. But somehow the lubber demons apparently don't watch Buffy is what I'm learning from all or this. Or they just they're just trying to be creative. They're trying to find like a new way to use this thing. Sure. You know. I do urge you all go on YouTube <laughs> and look up videos of people fighting with these things. It's terrifying. Oh my god. It is the fact that anyone on either side survives a fight. <laughs> With one of these blades is astonishing to wow. me. Wow. Absolutely astonishing. I like this bit of misdirection mm-hmm. very much. I like very much Lorne and Angel's interactions. I like Angel being genuinely charming with the librarian. Mm-hmm. I like him adopting this guise that is sometimes less successful, I think, than it is here. I'm not as generally a fan of Angel play acting as you are. Uh-huh. But I think he does it really well here. The whole thing about a grant for Gene. Oh, yeah. No, I love really when he well. when he thinks on his feet like that, when he's just like he's playing yeah. a character. I think it's fantastic. And the beat with the librarian mm-hmm. and oh that's just the school mascot. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Call back to that previous the new school mascot. Foreshadow joke. That works beautifully. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the attack is yeah. great. This is just, I think, really strong stuff. And it's anchored by two great performances. Andy Hallett as Lorne and David Boreanaz as the best version of Angel that I think we've seen in a and, good long while. In a while. little while. But I also like that we have a fight scene in a space that we're not usually having that kind of thing happen, like in a school library to have oh, this yeah. kind of fight scene play out. And later on, we're going to have, I think, one of my favorite fight scenes ever in the middle of the laundry room. Sure. I absolutely <laughs> adore that. I love that they're doing something instead of the yeah. dark alley fight scene that we've seen a thousand times. We're having a little fun oh, with it. We'll do that too. Well, but we'll yeah. also do mm-hmm. these other situations. In the lab, meanwhile, Jean jumps straight to supervillainy, which is nothing if not efficient. Back in the library, Angel battles the demon, who is momentarily distracted as Lauren calls out in an unfamiliar language. They fight, then flee, then Lauren fills Angel in on lubber demon theology. They race off to the lab. Jean, meanwhile, is singing a sad, sad song and preparing a larger version of the experiment. In his now-empty lab, Angel and Lauren get the information they need about Jean's devilish plan. They explain the plot to each other via voiceover as we see Jean prepare for his night of 
austere, joyless grad student pity sex with Denise. (laughs) Everything about this is just terrible. This is the point where it just goes off this cliff and it's starting to go and you think, okay, are we going to pull it back from this? Are we going to not do this terrible thing that we appear to be doing? Yes. I mean, I have no problem with Gene doing a terrible thing. He's the villain of the piece. Right. He's the bad guy. I have no problem with bad guys doing bad things. My problem is that the show does not seem to understand that the things that he's doing are terrible. We've been sympathizing with him throughout a lot of this episode, and we will continue to do that. And I think that's where... and But also, it's just like this gross place to go to motivate him using this thing, which he was going to do anyway, because this is his life's work, and it just broke sure. open for him. Sure. So for me, adding this layer in... For what appears to be no real narrative purpose, there's no need to do it except that it's gross. Well, no, and then I we mean, don't acknowledge that it's like so horribly, horribly gross. No, but this is the story. This isn't the story of Gene having a breakthrough in his work and accidentally ending the world. This yeah. is the story of Gene seeking to preserve one perfect moment with his mm-hmm. girlfriend. I mean, I see what you're saying. We don't narratively technically need this to be a personal entanglement, mm-hmm. but the personal entanglement is where we start this story. That's the, yeah. the primary driving force in the story. We might wonder why we kind of allow those two circumstances to overlap mm-hmm. to the extent that we do, why Gene isn't driven to perfect this technology by the fact that he's breaking up with Denise. Yeah, That perhaps would, would draw these lines, cinch these lines a little tighter. The further we get into the episode, the less I like the lubber demons casually changing the equation on the board right. and unlocking the entire thing because yeah. Gene himself hasn't even earned this. Right. So it's it's complicated and there are certainly cracks in the foundation work here, but nothing that in any other episode of Buffy would really cause us to pause, mm-hmm. I think. We're somewhat accustomed to the idea of terrible people doing terrible things and we can sometimes empathize with those terrible people doing terrible things and we can certainly allow for the possibility of redemption but before you can have redemption you have to acknowledge the sin that was a terrible thing yeah yes that's going to be a problem later lauren and angel drive across town to gene's apartment and lauren gives angel a little psychoanalysis he's cut off he doesn't care about the world angel has changed and he's not fulfilling the role of the champion anymore And Lauren wants to hear about it. He wants to help. After a quick cutaway to Gene and his misery salad, Angel (laughs) finally breaks. He's never going to be able to atone for his sins. He's never going to be able to beat Wolfram and Hart. Darla had a shot at redemption and was denied. Now he has to do things that the investigators could never do. Lauren reassures him in his way that this too shall pass. And that's when they run down a lover demon. (laughs) I... Love this scene. I love the whole scene with Lorne and Angel doing this deep psychoanalysis. It's fantastic. feels like the fullest, most Mm well-considered and and most well-communicated vision of Angel that we've had in, well, the longest time. I mean, literally since the first episode of the season. And we're also understanding more about where Angel has been coming from this whole time. We've yeah. been at, held at such a distance that we haven't really understood As him. we've said, we haven't understood whether he's still under the, the yeah, influence of the know. magical right. whammy powder. Mm-hmm. We don't know if he's in love with Darla. We don't know if something else is mm-hmm. going on. And here he articulates it beautifully. No, there's nothing else going on. He saw someone just like him have a shot at redemption and mm-hmm. be denied. Yeah. That's really strong stuff and we couple it with this beautiful performance from Mm -hmm. Lauren 
this this empathic, connected, genuinely, authentically supportive performance. I just love this stuff. It reminds me of the best parts of Guys Will Be Guys when Angel was off in that cabin having the deep psychological conversations with Tish McGav, right? With, with Art LaFleur. Art LaFleur, yeah. right, exactly. <laughs> um, the, I feel like we have kind of that same tenor, you know, yeah. like this this understanding of Angel and his psychology, this reflection of him back on himself, and then allowing him to kind of come to these understandings on his own, that, that we understand what he knows and what he is aware of about himself. I really love that and i love that he's sharing this with lauren that he's he's shut out the investigators because and it seems that he wants to protect them from having to do the things that he really feels no, that no, he no. has to do see i think this is really subtle but i think it's clear in the text mm -hmm. it's not that he wants to protect them i mean it's possible that he also wants to protect them from having to do the things that he himself is going to do mm -hmm. but he believes that they won't do it yeah he's kind of turning his back on them before they can turn their backs on him. Or before they can try to stop him. Maybe. Also, also yeah. that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love this. I think this is even better than the conversations we had in, yeah. in Guys Will Be Guys, which mm -hmm. I also really liked. This genuinely feels authentically Angel to yeah. me. This is so important. It is so important that we have this scene. It is so long overdue. But this one conversation goes a long way toward reframing really the entire first half of the season well, reframing yeah. angel's entire entanglement with darla his entire preoccupation mm -hmm. with wolfram and hart specifically his preoccupation with leslie there's so much here that that is immediately illuminated mm -hmm. i i adore it i think this is impeccably well written yeah and i also love that it brings us back in touch with the whole theme of angel which is why we fight yeah why we do what we do you know, what is the ultimate goal of what we're doing? Um, and I love that he's sort of losing his way in that. And again, it's so confident. Mm -hmm. We have the notion of the champion introduced, you know, into the, the frame of this episode right back at the beginning. And now we have Lauren kind of circling back around yeah. to that and observing not that Angel is failing in his duty, but that he's not being the man that he genuinely is. Mm -hmm. And that identity you know and the ways in which why we fight are tied to connected with a fundamental part of our own personal identity mm -hmm. that is the core of angel that yes, is what this show exactly. is about mm -hmm. and now at long last we've come back around to it yeah we're back in touch we're anchored to that thing that makes angel what it is so and i love that while I'm not a huge fan of just hitting a lubber demon who's apparently standing in the street believing that he can stop Angel's car through sheer force of will. <laughs> I love the timing of it. No, the timing it's great. is impeccable. Mm -hmm. They stop the car and are approached by more lubber demons, all of whom look intent and many of whom are holding their Mambele blades backwards. Combat training apparently not that important for this particular religious sect. Denise arrives at Jean's apartment and he drops the episode title while the investigators have killed the demon, saved the day, and Wesley does his Hercule Poirot thing, breaking down the mysterious plot step by step. Hey, we all know that Kevin is impotent, but he's also dumb. And it turns out that Aunt Helen is the guilty party. Yeah. This scene walked such a fine line for me. Mm -hmm. I didn't remember it as I was watching it this time. I didn't remember where the final resolution of this particular scene lay. So I'm watching it. My hands balled into fists, thinking, if you use this as a joke, if you use this as a means of making Wesley the idiot again, right. you and I are done, B-plot. Yeah. <laughs> you and I are over. But they don't. Yeah. It's just 
a genuinely triumphant moment for Wesley and the investigators. And I love that. I think it's hilarious. Mm -hmm. I think it's incredibly well written. I think it leans into Wesley's capability, but also his pomposity. Mm -hmm. We don't get perfect Wesley, as we've had glimpses of in the past. Mm -hmm. This completely works for me. The only thing that doesn't work quite as fully is Cordelia's preoccupation with the hors d'oeuvres. Yes. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. you know what? I'll take it. I it can buy that something. Cordelia is starving at this they've point. Been, they've been, yeah, they've been really light on the on the money, so she's a little hungry. Um, I, I this I felt was it felt a little out of place. I like all of the things, you know. I like the fact that it leans on this this prior knowledge of of the Agatha Christie, you know, climax moment <laughs> where we find out who actually did it and go through all of the mystery elements. Where in a story where we didn't go through and set up all of those mystery elements that we're just seeing this play out because we know how this does and we're focusing on Wesley and his capability. They didn't just kill the demon, but they also figured out the nefarious plot. It's an incredible moment of a accomplishment you know for an achievement for this group of people and we want to see them achieve we want to see them do well and they're making money and these are rich people it's all really cool as well as being a very confident style of joke yeah from the writers Mm -hmm. it it feels just very sure of itself very certain in in what it is it trusts the audience to come to it which has been a problem for angel over the course Mm -hmm. of the last six or eight or ten or twelve episodes (laughs) we have felt oftentimes a little insecure. Mm -hmm. This episode has none of that. This episode, in fact, could use a little more insecurity, (laughs) as we'll discuss when we get to the end. Angel, meanwhile, battles the demons, which unfortunately, given the makeup, just looks like our hero beating the crap out of a group of old men. (laughs) Lauren sings at a pitch that is painful to everyone nearby, or watching, and the battle continues. Dinner at Jean's is as painful as you would expect it to be, and our young lovers retire to the bedroom, where Denise somehow ignores the complicated system of mirrors and experimental equipment that Jean has prepared. She takes off her clothes and lets down her hair, and we cut away to Angel and Lorne racing through the night, then back to Jean and Denise smooching in the darkness, presumably because Denise emphatically turned out the light. I can only imagine that was a deal breaker for her at this point. Our heroes finally pull up out front and we see more lubber demons, which really is a dead giveaway. Mid-coitus, Jean activates the device. A lubber demon in the basement adjusts the program and the bubble begins to spread, freezing the world around Jean's apartment in amber. One of the demons is about to leap on Angel when he's frozen by the temporal bubble in the basement. Angel then turns off the machine in the nick of time and upstairs, Jean, if you'll forgive the pun comes to his senses. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, man. We have to very carefully disentangle this, I yeah. think. Gene is not responsible for the end of the world that could have resulted from his careless experimentation. Mm-hmm. He didn't come up with the original equation, and he didn't modify the machine. It does seem odd that the lubber demons have to do both parts of that. Right. What do they need that guy for? That's if fair. If they already have that, all of this knowledge and understanding. At this point. Yeah. So Gene is not responsible for the apocalypse. Right. What Gene is responsible for is raping his girlfriend mm-hmm. in the sense that she could not provide informed consent. She couldn't provide informed consent to being frozen in a sexual well, act. Regardless of, of that, regardless of the freezing yeah. of time, mm-hmm. he is manipulating her into sex. Yeah. And that is not okay. It's not just about consent. Mm-hmm. It's about informed consent. Mm-hmm. 
So that's really problematic. The freezing of time itself is a whole other issue. Mm -hmm. The idea that she is a possession, that she is, I mean, literally objectified. She is literally used for Jean's ongoing, infinite, temporarily locked gratification. Mm -hmm. The fact that he orgasms as the machine is finally turned off and the temporal bubble recedes. I have a great deal of trouble looking at Gene as the ho-hum sad sack that he seems to be presented as. Mm -hmm. We are clearly supposed to feel a certain amount of empathy for Gene. I feel no empathy for Gene. This is among the most monstrous things that we have ever seen in Angel. Yeah. And I really, I, I just can't with this episode from this point on. Well, because there's this whole thing like, gee shucks, I didn't mean to almost end the world as though that was the bad thing no, that he had all done. all I meant to do was rape this girl and freeze her in time forever. Yes. You know, just who hasn't? Exactly. Who hasn't had that impulse from time to time? <laughs> no, it's just terrible. And we, we treat him like, you know, like that's not this completely reprehensible, horrible thing to do and i cannot comprehend of a universe where we look at somebody doing something that is so horrible and we don't question it not only do we not question it we go out of our way to make this guy feel better about almost ending the world as though that was the thing for which he was responsible this is the pickup scene denise Uh. tells him that they have to talk and later gene sits with angel and lauren at his kitchen table he apologizes he didn't mean to threaten the fabric of space-time just permanently imprison a woman for having the temerity to not want him. Angel tries to empathize about love, but Lauren takes over, reassuring this poor, monstrous kid that things get better even for those who don't deserve it. Angel seems to respond to the idea that change will come, but poor old Gene is a great guy with whom they will happily share a beer. Yeah. All the way back in Superstar, Mm -hmm. we talked about... The problem of Jonathan having a pair of twins mind-controlled in his mansion, Mm -hmm. there to sexually gratify and service him. We talked about how thoroughly unpleasant that was and how difficult it made the rest of the story, how difficult it was to enjoy any other part of that story when you remember what has happened here. Mm -hmm. Superstar, to its credit didn't at any point pat Jonathan on the head and reassure him that it was okay for him to have twins because that's just normal and love really messes you up. Yes, exactly. Love's a fire, Jonathan. So it is okay for you to imprison these girls and mind control them into being your love slaves. Yeah. It gets better is not an appropriate message for Lorne and by proxy this show to give to Jean. No. Gene is a monster who has to pay for his crimes. And the fact that he didn't freeze the woman in time ultimately does not let him off the hook. Well, because the thing is, he wasn't the reason it stopped. He didn't turn it off. He didn't realize what he was doing and turn it off. And the fact that he didn't do that makes him a bad, bad guy who needs to be corrected when we show these kinds of stories and we don't say you know absolutely explicitly this is wrong this is bad what we are implicitly saying is no that's all right no we're not implicitly saying that we're explicitly (laughs) saying that by having angel and lauren sit around with him and have a a beer beer and try to make him feel better it's disgusting it's infuriating i was so mad 
at this point because I remember this being a wildly imperfect episode and I remember being angered by it the last time that I watched it. But I'm watching it again and I'm feeling really good about the interactions between Lauren and Angel. The B-plot. It's so well written. Like throughout, it's a really well written episode of Angel. And then we get to this final resolution. All that I need in order to count this episode as one of my favorites in a long, long while Mm -hmm. is for Angel to punch Gene. Not because I need to see Gene be punched, though, hey, it wouldn't hurt, (laughs) but because I need to be reassured that this episode, that Angel the TV show, understands that what Gene did was utterly monstrous. And that we're not sending a message that says that, that women owe a guy sex for any reason at sure. all that you ha- you can't break up with somebody when you know it's not working just because they're doing something nice yes, for you. Yes, because it's the that anniversary he gave her dinner. a necklace yes. and so he she is transactionally giving him sex. Like all of those messages are so so damaging and they're damaging for both men and women mm-hmm. because it changes what sex is into something that it is not and that it should not be used in that way, that it should not be viewed in that way. Um so all of this together combines to basically say all of this is okay and to put a little stamp on it that says this is perfectly acceptable behavior and it is absolutely not yes it doesn't matter that the world didn't end it doesn't matter that denise apparently leaves the apartment unaware that anything untoward was without having realized what almost happened to her right sure Mm -hmm. none of that matters what matters is the underlying intent and gene's underlying intent Mm -hmm. was evil was as evil as many demons that we've seen in angel and buffy to date yeah the fact that the show then rubber stamps that Mm -hmm. i mean i have no problem with with villains villaining i have no problem with their bad guys being bad guys i have no problem that what they're doing is bad right and you can tell stories about sexual assault and rape you can absolutely do that but you then have to deal with the consequences you have the responsibility of saying that's not okay it's like buffy sharing a beer with a vampire right after he ate somebody and being like oh well you know what it'll be better next time we'll get exactly right oh poor you exactly poor you did you really suffer through the eating of that innocent person exactly poor you yeah it's really hard mm-hmm. to watch. It's genuinely infuriating. And it's, infuriating. and it's also infuriating because the rest of the episode is pretty good. Yes, I, I would hate I find that makes me insane <laughs> that we go off this cliff so hard at the end of an episode that was actually shaping up pretty well. Well, this is the discussion that we'll have when the time oh, comes yeah. to put it on the big list of every Angel episode ever. But you're absolutely right. The fact that we were enjoying it so completely or mm-hmm. almost completely yeah. up to that point. Mm-hmm. The fact that it falls off a cliff really is just depressing and infuriating. But this sequence is not bad in contrast with the rest of the episode. (laughs) If the rest of the episode had been, you know, 40 minutes of the camera locked on a hot garbage fire, (laughs) this would still have been an infuriating end to the episode. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. I I got so mad when I was watching it. I know. As you know, because I can tell to you, talk you all down. about it, I and know. I had to express all of my feelings in very terse Anglo-Saxon words in the wake of watching this episode. Mm-hmm. We then conclude on a high note. Yes. We conclude on a scene that I love a great deal, which is the investigators' mid-party. They're throwing quite the shindig. In the midst of the celebration, a potential client comes in looking for angel investigations. None of them are angel, and that doesn't matter. I really like the B-plot. Oh, I like that, too. I love this moment at the end. They're all dancing. They've got candles because they don't have electricity. <laughs> and then the client comes in. And then when Wesley says, it's just a name. I mean, that you sticks me like? in the heart. It's I not love even that. that. 
it's they set aside the celebration yeah in order to help this guy mm-hmm. gun sincerity yes just oh no it's i love so that good yeah the investigators come out of this i think really very well they do indeed mm-hmm. unfortunately i'm so blinded by rage as yeah, we move into no. that sequence uh-huh that I just can't. I suppose we should talk a little about Angel's emotional turn at the end of the episode, which is, I think, what supersedes the actual conclusion to the story. Mm-hmm. The reason that Jean is let off the hook, and I want to be very clear about this, is not because anyone involved is misogynistic or that anyone involved is a big fan of rape culture or that anyone involved thinks that women are objects. I don't think that's what happened here. I think what happened here is that we wanted to connect the end of the Jean story with Angel's personal emotional arc right. through the episode and also set up the expectation that when that mysterious figure enters angel investigations at the end of the episode hey it might just be angel it might just be yes exactly and i like the way that all of that mm-hmm. works the gene story is compromised i am angered because we switch focus from gene and the consequences of his vile and abhorrent actions mm-hmm. to angel yeah who's actually going through a thing I really love the message that's communicated here that it will get better. This too mm-hmm. shall pass. That that you can be beaten and knocked down, but it's about the getting up again. Mm-hmm. That's a message that is really very close to the heart of, of Angel as a show and Angel as a character. Mm-hmm. I could have loved it so much. He just needed to punch Gene out and not drink a beer with him. Or Gene just needed to not, like, you know, violently, like, violate this girl. You know, like, well, yes, if, okay. Like, this is <laughs> we the thing. We could have done an entirely different story. Like, I suppose no, that's true. If we just take that out, if we just have him accidentally getting to the end of the world, if we just have him canceling the dinner with her and sure. wanting to freeze himself sure. in a moment where he doesn't have to deal with the pain of it. Right. Okay. Fair enough, TV show. Let's do that thing. Let's do him separating himself from his friends, from his girlfriend, yes. from everybody, Had this and taking been... himself out of it the way that Angel has been isolating sure. himself and have it actually reflect Angel's story. Had this effectively been a suicide metaphor with unintended sure. consequences, then Gene's story would have played out perfectly just the way it is. You mm-hmm. have to change very, very little. Right. But once he makes the decision to involve Denise mm-hmm. without her knowledge, without right. her consent, once he makes this decision for her and thereby objectifies her as much as a person can be objectified, yeah. that's when the episode takes well, a turn. And I mean, let me see if I've got this right. His intent is not to freeze the world. His intent is to freeze just them. Yes. In the middle of having sex. Yes. So when somebody comes looking for this girl, like, I don't know, her mother, well, what exactly yeah. are they supposed to find? We don't know what the mechanic of the temporal the bubble is. The rest of is. the world is going to just go on. And, you know, all of it is so incredibly horrifying. And had he just had the intent to freeze himself so he wouldn't have to feel the pain of that loss. Sure. I would have been completely on board. This would have been a great episode. Yeah. Angel would have, and you we know, could have stripped out some of the lumber demon stuff. Isolation. Sure. Absolutely, I think that could have totally worked. But, but as it this is, is horrifying, <laughs> and that's the problem because the A plot works well enough mechanically. The B plot is more comedic, mm-hmm. certainly, but I think it works great. I love the the drawing room sequence. I yes. love Wesley's capability. I love the investigators working together. I love Lauren and Angel. I genuinely love a lot of things that happen in the span of this yeah, episode. Me too. I'm just knocked out of it. Let's <laughs> let's put it on the list. Oh God. Okay. This is not going to be an easy discussion. Let's put it on the list. I'm going to start with an opening gambit here. Okay. Without the gene stuff, without the 
final turn here and the sanctioning of Jean's actions mm -hmm. by the text of the episode, I would be putting this up four, five on the list. Yeah. I think maybe above Blind Date. Mm-hmm. Maybe even above judgment. We'd be having that conversation. But for me, this would be a top five episode. I think I would put it above judgment. I, I mean, I really like the way that it's written. I absolutely adore Lauren. I love that Lauren holds himself together in a fight and yep. that we don't make him, you know, like cower or be be somehow less than heroic in that moment. I love the fight scenes. I'm sorry. I love that he slams one of the demon's heads in a, Which a dryer. I is love a big that. deal coming from you. It's very, yeah, because I don't like the fight scenes. Yeah. I'm usually not interested, but I love the unusual context for these fight scenes. It's been really fun. I like Angel thinking on his feet. I like the, the sensitive and thoughtful and, and and psychologically connected yeah. uh, conversation that he has with Lauren in the car. There is so much to love in this episode. The short game is good. The long game is good. Yeah. The concept is good. The execution is good. It works on all levels, except. Except. This is not a top five episode. Right. Because of where the story Because you can have ends. the greatest road trip in the world. Like Thelma and Louise, I think, had a great time. But the end, <laughs> when they went off the cliff. Yes, that's, that's, that's when fair. I mean, I think right. that, The yeah. Yelp review for that exactly. road trip. <laughs> I mean, sure, the rest of it's a four-star road trip. But you also have to consider where you end where up. Where you end up. Exactly. In a tangled, yes. you know, broken heap of wreckage. <laughs> At the bottom of a ravine, which is absolutely where the story ends up and sure. where it should end up. Mm -hmm. For me, I have to look very close to the bottom of the list. Mm -hmm. The last seven or eight spots on our angel list. Yes. That's what I like to call the hate zone. <laughs> Those are the episodes that, to a greater or lesser degree, mm -hmm. I hate. Yes. Those are the episodes that, that anger me. Those are the episodes that leave me infuriated. I think for me, the dividing line is first impressions. Mm -hmm. First impressions is dumb and harmless but it doesn't leave me angry the way that she or i've got you under my skin or lonely hearts or the bachelor party or the prodigal or sense and sensitivity or i fall to pieces do and i swear i could end this podcast right now having just read that list and i don't mean this episode i mean this show so for me it has to go in under first impressions mm -hmm. i do think that it's the best of the episodes that i hate the best of the hateables. I yeah. think so. Yeah. I think no, the sexual politics are less emphatic mm -hmm. and clearly less considered, less purposeful, less intentional than the sexual politics in something like She. Right. Mm -hmm. So for me, believe it or not, it goes in at 26 on the list. Mm -hmm. I actually can really sympathize with that. I feel it feels wrong because so much of it is so good, mm -hmm. but it goes so hard off the cliff. This it becomes is an infuriating episode. With yeah. stories like this. Mm -hmm. This is the problem with rape culture yeah. in our media. Mm -hmm. This is a perfect example of that. Yeah. So it does have to bear the responsibility, I think, of, of its ultimate contribution to pop culture as a whole. It needs to sit in the corner and think about what it's done. It really does. <laughs> I think you could do a fan edit yeah. of this episode and you could elevate it immediately back oh, up to the top five, at least certainly. to the top ten. Yeah. With with a pass, you could mm -hmm. make that happen. Unfortunately, the episode as it is has to go in that low for me. Are you there? Are you at 26, right above she, right under first impressions? Do you want to have a discussion about raising it a little higher? No, I don't. <laughs> I don't. I Okay, I have a sadness 
because there are things in this episode that I well, love. And that's why it's going in above the, she. Because, the best of the hateables. Yeah. yeah based mm-hmm. on that final note, the final note of the A plot, it would be going in dead last. We mm-hmm. would have to add lines under I fall to pieces <laughs> and then put it in. Just sink it down with It would an be anchor. number 48 yeah. on our list of 33 episodes. Yeah. yeah. No, I it think is. That's where I am right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just so angry about it. But. I do think that the rest of the material elevates it. And I do think that it is a Mm well-articulated commentary on Angel's position. The B plot works. Most of the A plot works. But this final beat, it has to pay a price for that. You know, I think that it really does. I completely agree with you. But I am saddened. I am saddened by seeing an episode with such tremendous potential end up so just horribly, horribly Bad. Well, yeah. and one of the metrics that we use to judge where we're going to put things on the big list is the rewatchability factor. Yeah. And I will never watch this episode again. Oh, no. I just can't. I can't enjoy all of that good Lorne and Angel stuff. I know. Because of where it ends up. No, it's just it's just too much. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to the discussion that arises from this episode because I feel as though if you could overlook the problematic politics right there mm-hmm. at the end, if you could somehow reconcile it somehow make your peace with it somehow forgive it then you're left with the uncomfortable conversation between denise and the female lab assistant Mm -hmm. and you're left with the fact that from a certain perspective if you squint a little maybe the lover demons are weirdly and inexplicably coded as old jewish men right (laughs) which is so thin as to be almost certainly unintentional to see these guys regardless of like whether or not they're coded as jewish and i think there's an argument for that they're they're definitely old guys like they feel like it feels like angel is beating up a bunch of you know elderly gentlemen (laughs) and that feels a little a little bit weird they don't they don't have the threat especially because they don't know how to hold their weapons yes they also are just not threatening for a second they don't have enough threat to, to make it like reasonable that Angel so, is beating holy hell out of them. If you can overlook the weaknesses in the story and and enjoy it, then and, yeah. I, I don't think that I bear you any ill will. And for if you that. can understand that like 35 seconds of this thing going right. really, really bad is essentially tanking the whole thing. I can understand people who would look past that. And I do not think that if you can look past that, that, that makes you somehow a big supporter of rape culture. No, you know, I think if I you think, like yeah. Go Fish, if you don't see a problem with Go Fish, mm-hmm. then then we fundamentally disagree. And right. I think that, that a conversation needs to be had. And I think that if you don't see the problem here, then, you know, we have another discussion to have. But if the fact if you can see it and say, OK, but the rest rest of the episode look how good that is yeah. i can respect that opinion sure unfortunately you know? i just can't can't quite get along with that yeah i can't i can't put it higher on the ranked list because this is such a problematic thing for uh for this episode to do but we're gonna end it there for today <laughs> we will be back on monday with our thoughts on episode 14 of season five of buffy crush in which spike's feelings for buffy are revealed uh, let me tell you the next few weeks of buffy uh It's going to get crazy. It's going to get crazy out Mm -hmm. there. Next Thursday, Kate and Angel tackle a zombie police force in episode 14 of season two of Angel, The Thin Deadline. Okay, that is either going to be awesome or terrible. (laughs) (laughs) 
I think I know which one it's going to be. We'll talk about that next week. Don't forget, you can join some of the funniest, smartest, and most delightful people on the internet on our forums at forum.storywonk.com. Or you can send your feedback to us via email at podcast at storywonk.com or leave a voicemail at 252-505-WONK. That's 252-505-9665. We're only halfway through the season here, Mm -hmm. but we can already start looking ahead to our season wrap-up episodes. So if you have thoughts get in touch absolutely and remember that this podcast is brought to you free and ad free by our generous patrons to join this awesome group and gain access to exclusive story Wonk content go to patreon.com slash story and pledge us a dollar a month or whatever you can afford until next time i'm lonnie diane rich i'm alistair stevens and this is dusted Grrr.